Let's do this. Jerry Chidiak, we are on episode number 23 of Crazy Damn Canadians. Thanks so much for being a guest today. Well, thank you for inviting me. And you are a very respected and admired teacher within School District 57 at Dutchess Park Secondary School. Right, well, thank you. Yeah, thank how you. long have you been at Dutchess Park? Uh, since 99. So 20, I finished 21 years going into 22 years at the same school. Amazing. Yeah. And yeah. were you at a different school than I was at Immaculate Conception um, for a number of years before that. And, you know, I did a few other things before before that as well, but uh, yeah. Definitely a few other things because before Prince George, you lived in Montreal and Toronto. Right. But before those Canadian cities, I Well, I grew up in Toronto. Okay, so you grew, grew up, up in Toronto. Toronto. It's kind of interesting. I, went, I grew up in Toronto. Um, after graduating from university, I went to University of Western Ontario in London, which is actually where my brother teaches now. He teaches where, where I went to school. Nice. Um, and, um, and, and did my teacher's college. And from there, I actually moved to Prince George. I came here like a lot of people did at that time with something called the Frontier Apostolate. The now I know that's Frontier Apostolate, right? Okay, right. That's a little bit controversial now with uh, you know with Bishop O'Grady and and so on. Um, so it's uh, I, I don't I don't know if I should say too much about that. But you know though the truth is a lot of really good people came to Prince George with the Frontier Apostolate. Um, and, and I think I have to give credit to, to, to that. Um, you know, between Bishop O'Grady started in 1956 and it ended in 1993, and he, he, he attracted volunteers from all over the world. You know, some, you know, a bit controversial characters like John Furlong, the, who organized the 2010 uh, Olympics, Olympics yeah. you know, who's a bit in, of a controversial figure, but he was a frontier boss. Yeah, was he in Fort St. James for a while? Is that um, or Burns Lake or yeah. something? Yeah, somewhere yeah. out west, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, you know, it's not without, uh, but I guess, you know, one of the things that I notice is looking back in history, there's good and there's bad, right? There's good and bad in all of us, there's good and bad in, 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 in everything. And, you know, so I think it's important not to, to write people off, right? Like, you know, same thing with Bishop O'Grady. I wish, you know, that we could actually sit down and talk to him and say, you know, what was your intention? And, you know, talk to people who knew Bishop O'Grady and say, you know, what, from the indigenous community especially, and say, what was your experience with, with, with him and, and, and his work? And, you know, before we write people off to, to find out. And, and I think I wrote one of my columns on that, actually. Yeah, you did, actually. And your, your columns have been brilliant. I know you have weekly columns with the Prince George Citizen, with Troy Media as Troy well. Troy Media, but yeah. Also for, for many years, uh, Shaw Spotlight Lessons right. in Learning, right? Right. Yeah, and the, I did read that article, uh, but even before these recent articles, you've been talking about these subjects for a long time. I was listening to an article or a Shaw Spotlight YouTube series from 2015, and you were already talking about the importance of reconciliation right. and not forgetting about the past and knowing that we do have dark chapters in right. Canadian history, but these are areas that we can learn from right. to move forward. Right, and, and I think that's really uh, a, a very important thing. You know, it's, I think it's, I don't know, I get very concerned when I hear people writing things off without doing a little bit of digging, right? And maybe that comes because my mom's from Germany, right? My mom was born in 1931 in Germany. So um, between the world wars. Well, yeah, and, and she, you know, she was just turning 14 when the war ended. And 
you know, just like any person, I think of 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 my generation, we're like, okay, well, what what happened with my grandparents at that time, right? You know, uh, I read a really really good book recently called Learning from the Germans, and one of the things that the Germans have done, especially my generation, really, is look honestly and say, you know, what were my grandparents doing? You know, there's one woman who who you know the movie um, Schindler's List. There's that yeah. crazy commandant who, who would shoot people just randomly. His granddaughter is, is black and she wrote a book that said, my grandfather would have killed me or, or, some, or would have shot me, I think it's mm -hmm. called. And just digging back into, you know, who were our grandparents? How did this happen? What did people believe? You know, and, and that's really, really, really important. And once you do that, then you can come to find the truth and say, okay, well, you know, because I think, you know, um, especially for the Germans, it's, this, these were my grandparents we're talking about here, right? These are my parents, these are my grandparents, these are my great-grandparents, this is my family. What did we do? What mistakes did we make, right? Were they really all bad, you know? Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger actually did a really cool piece on, on, on that as well, talking about his own father you know, and how he was damaged after World War II, yeah. you know, being Austrian. In and Austria's role, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, um, you know, and talking about the other fathers in, in his neighborhood, they were, they were damaged people because they'd gone along with something that was so horrendous. What can we learn from that, yeah. right? How can we look back and say, okay, that was really bad, right? What can we learn from that? And one of the things I often say to my students too, and this is where I get really I don't know if queasy is the right word, but when people judge um, the past, people from the past without proper information, I say, well, what about us, right? What are people 50 or 100 years from now gonna say about us, yeah. right? Um, Especially when it comes to people judging others in the present for right. events that happened far back in the past. Right. I look at, we've actually had two guests on this podcast that both lived through World War II. Right. Dick Von Eugene being one of them, John Brink the other. Correct. And two things that both of these gentlemen said when we were talking to them leading up to the interview, when we mentioned the war, was in reflection, looking back, whether it was the, the, the Germans or whether it was the Allies, that everyone was a victim. Everyone right. was a victim of this war. Right. And, and that's something that both these gentlemen th said, and it really resonated with me because, I mean, it's not like you have some Nazi soldiers that are stationed in northeastern Holland that want to be there. You right. know, like I'm, yeah. I'm sure they'd rather be in Germany, living a life with their family right. in a non-war environment, right? Yeah, and, and I think that's um, important to remember. But another thing too is, you know, um, Viktor Frankl, you know, his, I, I love, uh, you, read, you read Man's Search for Meaning, eh? Yes, thanks for the recommendation. No, it's, yeah. I, I honestly recommend that for, for everybody. I read it with my students yeah. every year. Felt like it was a, a book just full of powerful quotes, one it after is. another. Really, it is. But one of the things that, that Frankl said, and I think this is really important, and, and we, you know, because I've met a number, I've had the privilege of meeting a number of Holocaust survivors, you know, and for a long time, nobody wanted to talk about what they had gone through. They said, oh, we suffered too. And yeah, you did, but we need to look at this, right? We need to look at this. So that's the only caution I would, I would say to that. But yeah, the, the suffering was, was universal, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
but you know, but we have to, I think, dig through that as well. And I think that's what the Germans are doing too, because you know, for generations of Germans, they would say we wouldn't, they didn't want to talk about it, they wouldn't address it, they were like, you know, well, that what we suffer too. But then you know, the children and the grandchildren and the great grandchildren look back and say, yeah, but let's we got we got it. We got to unearth some of this. Right? Yeah. yeah. What, what is one thing that you took away from that that book from Viktor Frankl? Is I know there is the the quote about the the space between when there's a a stimulus and then a response. There's that right. that space between, yeah. right? Yeah. And th th that was one of numerous quotes. But what is one thing that you really took away from that book? It's it's really hard to put it down to one because I I actually I think about that book a lot. Probably because I've read it so many times, I can't even count the number of times I've read it. Um, but um, that that one is definitely one. You know that freedom. And what's funny about that, and I, I when I'm when I'm teaching the book to my students, I I often say to them, you know, that every time I read this book, I learn something new, right? Like I remember the first time I read that book in my twenties, I hadn't really dealt with many challenges in life. Life had been really, I, I was one of those lucky people, you know, who had a really good, good life. Um, so I didn't understand what he meant when he talked about the ultimate freedom is to choose one's response. So I would say like, you know, everybody's free. You know, don't talk to me about communism. Everybody's free. They still, and it was like, I, I, I want to kick myself when I, you know, think of the things that I, you know, think of that perspective. And it's like, I totally didn't get it. Right, I just totally didn't get it, and now that I've lived a little bit, you know, and faced some challenges in life, it's like, yeah. And what I notice with my students too, with my with my grade twelves, is I say to the students, you know, read it again when you're older, right? But the ones who come from you know more challenging backgrounds, they get it, you know, yeah. they 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 can relate to to what's being said, yeah. and. Um, and you never know who's coming from a, a challenging background either. You right? never do. And there's so many lessons to be learned throughout that book. And, and yeah. even in subsequent interviews that Viktor Frankl has done over the years and uh, leading up to th this podcast, I actually researched them quite a bit, uh, knowing that you're a big fan of the, the author. And you know, what really resonated strongly with me when he was talking about what drives people and the ultimate happiness, he talks about people that when they're on the pursuit of happiness, they're not gonna find that. If their goal is to find happiness, you're not gonna find right. it. He says, true happiness comes from purpose. Yeah. You know, finding your, your purpose, a meaningful purpose in life. Absolutely. And, and you see that with other people. I, I always think about Jim Good, who's also been oh, yeah, a, yeah. a podcast guest, where from a young age, he always knew that botany and music were his two passions right. in life, and, and, and nothing else was as important as those. So he spent his entire life building Good Sir Nature Park, yeah. which is this amazing botanical park, as well as a music museum with over 35,000 records. Right. And that's what he focused on his entire life. And he's one of the happiest people I know. Yeah. Jim Tyrion's another example, a young gentleman who walked across Canada, uh, despite being deaf, and raised over $800,000 for the Terry Fox Foundation, wow. because his goal in life was to support his her hero, Terry Fox, and the, the charitable foundation. The unfortunate thing, and you might agree with me, Jerry, is that a lot of people won't find that purpose or that meaning in life. Or they, yeah. They're too busy trying to find happiness. And But happiness should be a byproduct, not a pursuit right. of 
finding that purpose. Right. I, I talk about that a lot with my students, actually, because like I, um, the last couple of years I've taught career education eight, and it really came to my attention. I was sitting at my desk one lunch hour, and this little girl from grade eight, she comes by my door and she goes, Mr. Chidiak, why are you always so happy? And I was like, I, I just love being a teacher, right? And I didn't really think about it. And then I did think of that quote from, from Frankel, you know, that happiness, happiness must ensue, mm -hmm. right? From, from a purpose greater than oneself. And that's what I share with, with, with my students as well. And, you know, I have my mission statement up on, on my wall. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's the most perfect mission statement, but it, it motivates me every day. And one of the points is to, um, um, what is it, to um, create happy memories for each student and to inspire them to achieve their, their greatness. And that's really what drives me, right? You know, like hopefully students' experience in my classroom is a, is a happy experience, is a happy memory. I don't know if anybody achieves 100% on that, but... Um, <laughs> and that is a great mission statement. Yeah. And, and so at Duchess Park, what are you currently teaching? What subjects? I teach social justice uh, 12. I have three blocks of that this coming year. Um, I teach German, so beginning and um, so three levels of, of German. Um, so three levels of German. Right. Yeah. And um, and is that coming from your background of speaking multiple languages? French, yeah, French, that's right, German because I, I grew up in a bilingual home. We spoke German at home. My grandmother used to spend time with us and never spoke English. Yeah. So we had to learn German and we spent some time in, in Germany with her. Um, and that really had a profound impact on me as well. The other side of my family, you know, I, I go to to like meetings with German teachers and they'll look at my name. Chidiak, that's his kind Deutsche Name. That's, that's no German name. And uh, my dad is Syrian. I, you know, my grandparents actually were Syrian refugees wow. um, in the early part of the 20th century, fleeing the, the, fleeing the Ottomans um, as, as Christians. So, you know, um, and that's, an, that's another thing that makes me extremely grateful for, for Canada is, you know, to be so welcomed here you know um, but yeah my so that's my both sides of the family Syrian and German but um, I don't speak Arabic unfortunately but I do um, I do speak uh, German and so I teach German and then um, this then I work with the at-risk students a bit and we that's uh, right yeah, yeah you work with a, a lot of at-risk students and you also work with a lot of indigenous students because right. a lot of people might not realize that school district 57 has the greatest proportion proportion of indigenous students compared to any other district in British Columbia. Correct, yeah. Yeah, and so, and that's been really good. That has, like when I look at my evolution as, as a teacher, my growth as a teacher, my growth in the, in the years I spent at Dutchess Park, our Aboriginal Education Department has provided some pretty amazing formation and opportunities for growth. And, you know, I, I, I was just reflecting on this because I'm taking a a master's course on, um, in, in education and you know reflecting on the growth on my growth since I graduated from Teachers College in 85 and where we were at and you know the significance of like Stephen Harper's apology in 2008 mm -hmm. to make that meaningful 
right, yeah. has been very challenging, right? Um, but it requires all of us. And learning indigenous ways of teaching and learning has, has made me a better teacher. It, it really has, and, and to be open to that. And, you know, another book I'd recommend for anybody in, especially in, in northern BC, but really anywhere in Canada or maybe even in the world, is Mary John's book um, uh, by Bridget Moran, Stony Creek Woman. That is, um, you know, it's, it shows its age a little bit because you don't use the name Stony Creek anymore. But um, it's a really, really good book about, written by a, a, a brilliant and wonderful and um, resilient elder, Mary John. It's really extraordinary, actually. It's just a little book, too. It's a quick read, but uh, an ex extraordinary book. Great. Um, how did I get on that topic? Oh, you're talking about our indigenous uh, yeah. education. Yeah. And, you know, another thing that really has impacted me, and again, I, I would encourage anybody to, to reflect on the, um, the seven sacred teachings, the seven grandfather teachings. Because what I've started to do now is, you know, you face uncertainties in life and you don't know always, we don't always know the right thing to do. And what I've been able to do now, it's really given me a very valuable tool is I, I reflect on the seven grandfather teachings of humility, right? What's the humble thing to do here, right? What's the honest thing to do here? What's the uh, respectful thing to do here? What's the courageous thing to do here? You know, am I seeking truth? Am I seeking wisdom, you know? And ultimately, is it the loving thing to do, right? Mm -hmm. And that is just such a powerful, um, just way of processing decisions, you know? It's, so that's what I mean. It's, it's not only made me a better teacher, it's made me a better person to, you know, because it really cuts to the chase, right? It really does. These are the things that are really important, yeah, right? Absolutely. You know? So, so backing okay. up a little bit, what inspired you to be a teacher? Did you always know from a young age that you wanted to teach? No, is it something no. you stumbled upon? You know, I, I, I joke with my students about that too, because like when we do career education, you know, they do um, some, you know, searching for, for different jobs and, you know, what kind of interest, personality type and so on. And I say to my students that, you know, when I did this test, when I was in high school, what came up? Uh, Catholic teaching sister is what came up <laughs> in mind. And I'm like, what? <laughs> that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Like, it was the last thing I wanted to do. You know, I thought I wanted to fly airplanes or something at that time, right? But as I was going through, through high school, and even in university, I ended up, you know, doing summer jobs like at summer camps. And, you know, growing up in Toronto, I worked for the, the Y and for... Um, you know, the City of Toronto playground programs, organizing sports and activities for, for kids in the city in the summertime. And it was, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. So I was finishing up my degree in, um, in social science with a um, minor in cross-cultural studies, which was really, really awesome. Yeah. It really was. It really, you know, broadened my, my worldview. Um, but I was like, okay, you know what? Teaching sounds kind of cool. And, you know, because I, like I said, I realized that I really enjoyed working with, with young people. So that's what I did. And, uh, but it wasn't until probably my last year of university where I really seriously thought about um, 
education. Yeah. So yeah. it took to the last year of university to, to really put that nail in the coffin and say, yeah. you know what, this teaching thing might really work. Yeah, and then, yeah. you know, then you, you do it and you realize, yeah, this really makes me want to get out of bed in the morning, you know? This is really, I, I love doing this. Absolutely. And Our last guest on the podcast was Don Chamberlain, who was the principal of Kelly Road Secondary okay. School for, for many years. Uh, over 20 and it, it was really a, a direct reflection uh, for for me as a, a host as long as, as well as Dave Moth is just to kind of reflect on our own high school experience and think about all the influential figures whether it be classmates or or teachers or, or parents or volunteers that that played a role in our high school experience and it was really just a, a fun exercise to think back and and be thankful of right. all these teachers that helped us along the way and, and I feel like you play that role for for hundreds and hundreds of, of students of yearly that students that might be in your class or students that you might just see at the school right uh, what does it feel for you to be in a position to influence others positively and and help them along their their path of figuring out what they want to do in this crazy lifetime well you know honestly i think that is the greatest joy of teaching it really and that's the nice thing about living in a community like prince george it's where I can have contact with, you know, people whom I, I, I see them all the time, people I, I used to teach. Like I'm going to the dentist on, on Monday and the dentist is a former student. I'm going to the eye doctor on Thursday. The eye doctor is a former student, right? You know, um, is Sonny who works with you uh, is, is, is a former student. I taught Absolutely. him grade five. Jordan Yu played basketball for me, yeah. right? And it's really cool to like even when I'm teaching. And, and so I, I use that when I'm teaching as well. And I say to the stu my students, you know, you're gonna go on to do great things. I have been at this job for over 30 years and I see what my former students are doing. And it's awesome, yeah. it's awesome. What an honorable, honorable experience for you just to be able to witness yeah. being in the school district for over 30 years as a teacher to witness former students go on to great things. Yeah. It's also got to be hard. I mean, like, say you go down to Pine Center Mall to pick a few things up. Like, do you ever have teachers that are kind of waving at you and you're like, ooh, did I teach him well, or her? Well, you know what? I grew up in Toronto, so I don't have that problem. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. It's, I, I, I don't even see my... But, oh, you mean ones who, who didn't like me or... Oh, no, just uh, former students that you might not recognize. Oh, that <laughs> happens to me as well. Yeah, but you know what? I've learned to be honest about that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, I'll say, um, did, I, did I teach you? Right, yeah. because the thing is, they grow up, and um, and and especially like t having taught elementary school because I taught at Immaculate Conception. That's where I taught Sunny. Right, mm -hmm. um, you know, I I recognize or I um, you really really get to know those people. Right, like Jordan, you I taught in grade five as well, and yeah. he played basketball for me, and um, you know, so you remember those people fairly easily, but they grow up. And, and you don't always necessarily recognize them, right? Mm -hmm. What I realize is people's eyes don't change, right? So sometimes, like especially the people I taught in elementary school, if I look in their eye, in their eyes, I can say, oh, I remember you, that right? Clicks. Yeah, um, but high school is, is challenging because you know, you're teaching a couple hundred people a year, right? Mm -hmm. And if, I, if I've only taught somebody like this past year, I had you know, my grade eights, I had them for like 11 days and I was, because of COVID we had, you know, quarter system and um, so I'd have them for the full afternoon for 11 days and it's really, really hard to get to know people with that, right? Yeah. And I, I found that very challenging actually. 
Um, so in, in that way, it's, you know, I, I feel embarrassed, honestly, when I, when I can't remember people's names. And I, and I think, you know, what, what's one area of growth that I have to start to, where I need to go, and it's to, to learn to remember people's names better. Yeah, well, it's right? good that you're honest about it if you can't remember. Right, you know. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Jerry, another question I actually wanted to ask was, what has it been like being a teacher within the school district during a global pandemic? I know that a lot of students, when they were sent home and, and, and classes were temporarily uh, shut down, that some of them maybe didn't come back. Yeah, we lost a lot. Uh, and, and I'm very concerned about that. Um, and I, I don't know what we're, we're going to, to do. So did you, you did lose quite a few students? We did, yeah. we did, and we, we did, especially our at-risk kids, mm -hmm. right? You know, that they, you know, and, and so I don't know where, where they are, we don't know where they are. Um, and, and that's, uh, that's, but that's a global issue. Yeah, that's not just Prince George. That's not just right? Prince George, yeah. that's a global issue, so we need to be thinking, and I, I don't know, I'm not in, in the admin, admin office, right? So I don't know what the plan is to bring those students back you know, if I could give my input, I'd say, well, let's, you know, develop an outreach program. Let's um, even give them a couple more years to finish high school, mm -hmm. right? And that, I, I would see that as actually maybe a good thing because a lot of times our at-risk kids, if they if they had a couple extra years to finish high school, you know, that might, that's often a good thing because I don't know about, you know, cutting people loose at 18, yeah, you know? No, definitely not. You know, yeah. and, and so, um, I, I'm not saying we're cutting them loose, but sometimes it feels like that, and I'm like, you know, did we serve that person the best that we could? Yeah, that's right? a, a valid question. Yeah. So I, I feel like there's a lot of, of former students of yours that would look back at their high school career, and when they think about their favorite teachers, you'd be at the top of that list. Can you think about some of your favorite teachers growing up, or maybe one in particular that uh, stood out and helping develop you to the person you are today? Well, um, that's kind of interesting actually. You know, I don't know if he was one of my favorite people when I was going through through high school, but there was this, I went to a Catholic high school and there was this, this priest, Father Allison, and he was like, you know, five foot three and he had these beady blue eyes and he'd stare at you and pull your soul out of you, you know, like <laughs> we were all scared of him. Sounds intense. Yeah. He was, but you know what? He was a really, because it's kind of funny, because he taught German, right? And, and he taught, um, like he called it cultures in conflict, which in the late 70s, that's how old I am going through high school in the late 70s, um, to develop a course on genocide studies, really he called it Holocaust or, no, he, it was, people called it Holocaust and he said, no, it's cultures in conflict. Because it was more than just the Holocaust because we not only read, you know, studied the Holocaust, we studied and this, again, was very revolutionary. We read Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee and looked at the indigenous issue mm -hmm. of how indigenous people were taught way back then when nobody was really talking about it. So he was very forward thinking. So in that sense, he really had an impact on me, you know? Um, and he was, he was a good teacher, he was a tough teacher. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the course material that he taught really, it really got me thinking. And, you know, I, I like to think I'm a little bit more chill than Father Allison was, <laughs> but he was a really, really good teacher. He really was, you know. Um, and actually, I am in contact with some of his, uh, with a couple of his nephews on 
uh, on LinkedIn. So yeah. that's kind of cool. Yeah. You know, I can say, say hi to Uncle Bruce for me. Those are some of the positives of social media when you can reconnect yeah. with old colleagues and it's, acquaintances. It's and really friends. cool, actually. Yeah. It's really cool. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Jerry, you spent some time in the Congo. I really want to talk about this because, sure. like, probably one of the most dangerous places in the world right <laughs> when you look at some of the st statistics I mean, right. when you think about the amount of uh, child soldiers that they produce yeah. when you think about the like arms races and arms conflict yeah. i was reading a stat last night that was saying that the in terms of armed conflict oh, it's post world there. war ii there's been over 5.5 million deaths which yeah. is more in a single country yeah than any other country in the world since World War II, and, including and, Vietnam. And, and we often don't talk about that, yeah. right? And we don't, you know, and that's, you know, um, and, and here in the North, we don't, you know, like mining industries is, is really important. And I've, yeah. I've actually challenged, um, you know, some of our members of parliament on, on this issue too, like, you know, conflict minerals. Mm -hmm. Are, are Canadian mining companies contributing to the problem there? Yeah. Right, because they're, they're very resource heavy in terms of gold and tin yeah. and yeah. other now, natural resources. Correct. Economy. Now that's on the other side of the country where I was. I was in Kinshasa, the capital. Oh, okay. Now that's not mm -hmm. to say that things were super nice in Kinshasa. It was pretty <laughs> uh, pretty intense then. Yeah. So um, is that where you learned French then? Because I believe that's the second most. Uh, the second largest French-speaking population in the world, the next largest. to Paris. Or no, it is larger than. Or Paris. It's larger than Paris. Larger wow. than Paris. Yeah, wow. um, and uh, yes, Kinshasa is is that. You've done your homework. That's really good. <laughs> um, so um, I'm impressed. That's really uh, most people don't know that, right? But it is. It's a. It, um, but no, I learned French in Montreal. I went yes, to. Yeah. I studied in Montreal with the intention of going to, to the Congo. And then when the, I was the differences in the language there between Montreal French and then French in the Congo where there's Oh, well, there's a few differences, yeah, yeah for sure. For yeah. sure. And and um, you know, you have to get used to that. Like yeah. I remember, you know, I, I said to somebody, you know, put barri la porte, you know, which is what they would say in Quebec, which means literally bar the door. Will you bar the door? And he looked at me like you want me to do what, right? <laughs> you know, on ferme la porte à clé, right? And you say yeah. in French. So there's there's certain phrases like that. And, and I guess dialects too, because there is over 200 different dialects and different languages right. in the Congo. And, uh, and I learned uh, Lingala, mm. right? I, I, I wouldn't say I became proficient in, in Lingala, but I did learn learn Lingala, which was um, which was a lot of fun. Actually, and it's uh, it's it's fun now because I remember one time. This is a, a really good Prince George story. I was standing in line at Overweighty, and I heard these two um, Congolese guys talking behind me. Yeah. And so I turned around and I said, You know, I said, You guys speak Lingala? I speak Lingala too, right? And they're like, Overweighty and Prince George's guy speaking Lingala, right? You know, it was really <laughs> so they had we had a great laugh. We really, you know, they were just like. You know, what are the chances? What are the chances? Yeah. And just it was it was really a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, I, I learned uh, Lingala as well. But uh, but we spoke. You know, French was kind of the language of business mm -hmm. there, and you know, the work language. And so, what was your primary reason for being there? Uh, I was working at a home for street kids. Oh, wow. um, it was called L'œuvre de Reclassement et Protection des Enfants de la Rue, um, ORPER, uh, O R P E R. Yeah. Um, and, and this was with the Canadian was it, government? Or? Uh, actually, no, that was with the Catholic Church. Okay. 
though the Canadian government was really, really good to us. Yeah. Um, they were very good to us when, when, uh, when we were there. The um, ambassador at the time, you know, he and his wife were, were big supporters of, of, of the work that we were doing. You know, um, if we needed anything, we would go to the, to the embassy and, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I, I hung out with the, with the Vandus who were their bodyguards. You know, a couple of the, you know, there were a group of Vandus there who were bodyguards. Yeah. We'd play softball together on Saturdays and stuff. It was, it was cool. really, yeah. um, it was, it was really good. So yeah. were there times where you ever felt unsafe? Or oh, absolutely. Or you saw situations I mean, where you're like, okay, we're definitely not in Canada anymore. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like it was, it was the end of Mobutu's uh, regime, yeah. right? Mobutu was the dictator at that time. And um, so there were a couple times when there was looting going on and, uh, you know, I remember at one point I actually did get evacuated because the, the Canadian embassy said, well, we're going to ask you, this was only, I'd only been there a couple months, and they said, well, we're going to ask you to leave because if anything happened, we can't be responsible for you, right? Yeah, when you're hearing <laughs> that, you know something's up. Right, right. So, um, you know, I did return back a few months later, not according to the recommendation, but I did return because I, I really enjoyed what I was doing there and it was very meaningful for me. Um, so I, I returned and, and finished up my, my stint there and I worked with some of the finest educators um, when, when I was there. I, um, you know, and again, I found a lot of them on Facebook. And yeah. what you know, a learning experience! It was there, it was right? amazing. Just, you know, taking in different culture, different knowledge, and yeah. you know, you're basically forced to to learn the language as well, right? right. Where it's, it's not just an option or you can study at your own will, like to actually ingrain yourself into the, yeah. the communities that you're in. Well, I, I, I had to speak, I had to be fluent in French yeah. in, in order to work there. Did you find that a lot of the, the, the residents were actually respectful of that? The, the fact that you were putting in that effort to, to learn? Oh the yeah, they were, they were, that, that was one thing, you know, um, the, I don't know what what it is about collective memory, but as soon as the Congolese knew that you were there, as like as as an as a missionary for, as as I was, they they were just so nice. Yeah. You know, it was uh, there were a couple of times when it was a little bit intense, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know, like I remember there were a, a group of guys. Like, but the thing is, the Congolese, and you know, sometimes I'll hear people say, you know, how would those, you know, we have to be so nice to the immigrants, right? Well, what if we were there? And I said, actually, the people there are so nice to you, right? And they'll watch out for you. Like, the people mm -hmm. there really watched out for me. Because when you're the white guy walking around Kinshasa, and I did walk a lot more than most foreigners, people were always watching out for me and making yeah. sure I was okay. You know, and I remember one time I was walking down the street and I don't know, some a group of guys, I don't know why they just didn't. Well, I can understand why there's a lot of um, animosity toward colonialists there because, you know, you, you know, we talk about the situation in the Congo today. Well, King Leopold basically made, the Belgian King Leopold, it, it was the first genocide of the 20th century what he did there. He wiped out, um, you know, uh, millions uh, of people in the Congo Free State. It was like, if you read Heart of Darkness, 
you know, some people read uh, Conrad's Heart of Darkness and say, well, that's, that's dark. That was, that was the reality yeah. under, under Leopold, yeah. right? And, and a lot of people don't realize that. So, but, um, so anyhow, there was a, a group of uh, people who, for whatever reason, didn't like me. But somebody right away said, um, you know, right away came, came to bat for me. He said, Yeah, uh, Sango, he's a, he's a missionary. And, and the guys backed off immediately. Wow. Um, so they were, I don't know, the Congolese were just so good to me. I'm just so grateful to, yeah. to, the, um, to the people there. They, they really, I don't know, they, um, you know, even though I was struggling with the language, you know, the, the Lingala and, you know, made mistakes and, you know. So did uh, your time in the Congo actually kind of spark your interest in future teachings and in subjects such as uh, genocide and social justice. I mean, a lot of people look at uh, whether it's uh, genocide or cultural genocide as something that's far off in the path, right. in the past, but it, it, it's still happening It's today. still happening, you look very at, much so. You uh, look Park, who is an escapee from North Korea. Okay. And she's been making a circuit right now on various podcasts, Joe Rogan, oh. uh, Lex Friedman, uh, Jordan Peterson, and her story is is scary. It, yeah. like just hearing what she has to say about what's happened in North Korea today and, and explaining the the people there that are that know no other world. Right. They just think that that's normal life. They they don't have internet, they don't have running water, they don't yeah. have food and and to think that there's millions of people that are going through starvation on a daily basis. I mean, yeah. that's just another form of of genocide. Right, right. And so your time in the Congo, did that actually spark your interest in teaching the subject? down the road? I, I, I think it did. I, I, I think it did, yeah. Um, what really sparked my interest, though, was actually visiting relatives in Germany, right? Mm -hmm. Because, again, going back to that, that topic, I was, you know, yeah. was around I, uh, I was in my early 30s, I think. Yeah. I was in the early 90s at this um, um, so a lot of conversations with relatives about yeah, well just the Holocaust, World no, War II? No, actually, it was just the fact that we were having a good time together, right? And they're just wonderful people. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing. Everywhere I've gone in the world, there's wonderful people. There's just really, really wonderful people. Absolutely. Um, but I was having a wonderful time, right? Yeah. And I just remember looking around saying, these are great people. How did something so horrendous happen here? Yeah. And so I just started asking that question. And what I came to realize is that it not only happens, happened there, it happened here, mm -hmm. right? You know, like in Canada, we're, we're dealing with our own genocide, yeah. right? Um, and it happened in the Congo, and it's happening today, yeah. right? Rwanda, I mean, Cambodia, yeah. Khmer Rouge. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, but I mean even, you know, look at what's happening in Yemen. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. uh, and, and we're completely ignoring that. Look at, you know, the, the COVID vaccines. Like, I'm just, we've been very fortunate that, that there haven't been um, outbreaks of COVID in, in refugee camps. Like, why aren't we vaccinating these people, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, just, just, so things are happening in, in, in the world today that we, we really need to look at. So yeah. it's, it's not something that just happened. It's, you know, whenever we forget the humanity of our neighbor, that we have problems, yeah. right? And that can go back to Viktor Frankl, what yeah. he talked about in his book, where I think there is a, a quote from Freud, Sigmund Freud, where he talked about how 
whenever there would be hunger involved, that's when all humans are equal, yeah. uh, whenever they're facing hunger. But uh, this was refuted by Viktor Frankl because he said that what he witnessed in those Holocaust camps was that there might be somebody who is starving to death that had one small half piece of bread left and he'd give it to the person right. next to him. And then there'd be another person that would actually stab his brother to death to right. get his last piece of bread. Right. So he, he kind of refuted Freud saying he that, did. well, that's actually not the case. You're gonna have all different right. levels of humanity during pretty hard situations right. like that. And within each one of us as well. Mm -hmm. and, and, I, and I love that quote, and I, I think we really need to remember that. It's one that, I don't know, I, I think I've probably quoted it a number of times in, 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 my, in my columns that, you know, there's no um, good, there, or he said, there's only two races of men, and excuse the sexist language, but it was written in the, in the 40s, right? But he says there's only two races of, of people, the decent and the indecent, and they're all found in every group. Mm -hmm. And then he continues on, and in each one of us, is it any surprise that in each one of us, there's a combination of good and bad, yeah. right? Which goes back to that, Cherokee story of the of the two wolves as well, right? So we're all, you know, struggling with that that good and bad, and trying to 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 feed the good wolf and, yeah. and be the best that we can be. I right? think that's why forgiveness is is such a a, a huge area that people need to focus on more because yeah. it, you you look at somebody that may have made a mistake, say back in 1995, and they still might be thinking about that mistake. Here we are in 2021, right. and thinking that that mistake might I provide a large part of their identity still, but people grow and people turn yeah. like, who you are today is a different person than who you were right. a year ago or 20 years ago or right. may, maybe even a week ago. And so that's why I feel like forgiveness is, is such a, a good trait to allow yourself to, to entertain with different people and yourself, right. especially. I just want to go back to talking about when you visited your relatives in Germany, because there's something I always thought about growing up as a kid. And I became very interested in the world wars and I, I started studying them. Uh, it, like before I even jumped into to the high school classes in grade 11 for social studies and it was that my best friend growing up was from Germany and he was mm -hmm. on my soccer team and he was my best friend for 20 plus years and I always thought to myself like if we're living in 1939 I know between 1939 and 1945 we could be enemies I trying to kill each other or if we're living in the the late of 1915, 1919, like we could be in separate trenches, yeah. you know, trying to take over land against each other. And I always thought about that because my best friend was German. Here yeah. I was as a Canadian. And if this was a different generation, it could have been a different story. Yeah, isn't it? It, it it's, it's so arbitrary. Mm -hmm. It really, really is, the, the differences, you know? And, and I think that's what we need to see, see our common humanity. And that's a beautiful point. You know, it reminds me of, um, it's a really, good uh, movie is called um, Merry Christmas, Joya Noel, um, and it's about the 1914 truce in, in World War One, yeah. where they came out of the trenches yeah. and they played the soccer on played, Christmas yeah. Eve, I think, yeah. or Christmas Day, yeah. And, uh, you know, um, because that's what we are, right? Yeah. And w what's ironic is that those soldiers, you know, the, the, the British, the French, and the German soldiers who were, who were playing soccer together actually had more in common with each other yeah. than they had with their commanders. Yeah. Can you imagine just being in a trench in 1914 yeah. and in northern France and all of a sudden you're putting down all your guns and, and any kind yeah. of firearms or uh, and then just playing a game of soccer and then the next day I know. having to go back to, f to fight in war? Yeah, it's, 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 
it's so twisted. Yeah. It really is. It's, yeah. uh, and, and I think we need to keep that in mind with, with, with one another, mm -hmm. right? Like, especially in, if you look at something like a proxy war, like Vietnam, where you yeah. have soldiers. I, there's a famous Bruce Springsteen song, and it's on a, one of his live albums, and he talks about, uh, the song's called The River, and it's a live album, and for about six minutes, like he's such a good storyteller, right, Bruce Springsteen, right. he talks about uh, Vietnam and how like his dad was always giving him a hard time because he had long hair and he's always saying you're gonna go nowhere in your life and yeah. and so he went and enlisted for Vietnam and he did his physical and then he failed and he had to come back to his house and tell his dad saying like I failed my physical I'm so ashamed and then his dad said I'm, I'm proud of you for, for failing because he didn't want his son to go away and then the drummer in Bruce Springsteen's band at the time was enlisted and going to Vietnam and, he, and Bruce Springsteen says I remember talking to my drummer and he didn't even know where Vietnam was he said he was so scared saying here's like a 19 year old kid saying I'm going to Vietnam yeah. where is Vietnam yeah. you know and then why are we fighting this war yeah <laughs> so I know a byproduct of the the Cold War for sure but it was a proxy war where you had essentially kids yeah leaving their home and, and going to a, a foreign country that they have no right. idea where it even is on the world right, map right. yeah uh, but I, th I think we should jump out of the, the war subject, and I want to talk about the Philippines. Okay. Be because did you, you spent time yeah, in, spent the in the Philippines. I spent the Philippines, yeah. Yeah. What was yeah. that like? What was that kind of experience? Uh, that, was, that was awesome. I was in, in university, um, yeah. third year university, and, and the university I was going to had an exchange program to the Philippines. And that just opened my eyes so much because, like I said, I was doing, you know, uh, anthrop uh, you know social science with a... Um, uh, a concentration in cross-cultural studies, basically. Wow. And to to study another culture while you're living in another culture. Doesn't get any better. I know, it was, yeah. it was so eye-opening, right? Yeah. And it really made me reflect on, you know, what really, it, it really helped me to see our commonality mm -hmm. of, of, of human beings. And again, the Filipinos were just absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Um, you know, but it also taught me to appreciate the freedom that we have in Canada. Because I was living there in, during Marcos's era, right? Mm -hmm. The dictatorship of, yeah. of Marcos. And it was the first time that I was in a university class where people were weighing their words carefully because they didn't want to offend anybody. Yeah. Where there could be repercussions. Yeah, right? exactly. And, and pretty serious yeah. things. Yeah. Or even, you know, riding in a in a in a taxi with, with, with somebody. And they were like, Shh, can't talk about that now, yeah. you know, because you don't know where there's an informant and so on. It was, it was, yeah. you know, but like you won't like, I mean, we're talking about this right now. Those are or life experiences that you carry with you forever. Yeah. And then what it does is it elevates a sense of gratitude when you're living in a beautiful country like Canada and you recognize on a daily basis the substantial amount of freedoms that we're able to enjoy every day. And, and that's, you know, that's really why I write my columns. Yeah. Right. Because I can. Right. You can. My grandfather could not do that yeah. in, in, in Germany, right? He, he would have got arrested, yeah. you know? Um, have you ever so talked about that in a column? The fact that yeah, you can I, actually produce them and your grandfather would have been in a jail for doing the same kind of thing? Uh, I, I have actually, yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I did. And because I was reflecting on, um, you know, on my grandfather and, mm -hmm. you know, maybe I was a little bit hard on him, you know, you know saying that, you know, going along with, with this, this government, but, but at the same time, um, he got himself in some trouble uh, un, under the Nazis, you know, uh, and um, 
because he, he was outspoken, and I think I, I have some of that. In oh, me you have well. a lot of that. <laughs> that's, a good, that's, a, that's a compliment. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. But, you know, but um, so I got, and he was a school teacher as well, so I'm probably a lot like my, my grandfather. I couldn't imagine having to live under such an oppressive system where I couldn't say what I was thinking, yeah. right? Um, and couldn't challenge authority, right? Yeah. And so that's, you know, so yeah, when, you, when you've lived in other places, when you reflect on, on what's going on in other places, what went on with other, in other places, we realize how fortunate we are in Canada. Like really, and especially in a place like Prince George, mm -hmm. right? Like I can run into Todd Doherty in, in, in the parking lot at, at, at Home Depot, which I've done, and start discussing, you know, first of all, I really appreciate, you know, the, the, our, our local representatives. I think, you know, even though I might not always vote for them, yeah. um, I appreciate the fact that we can have that dialogue. And I recognize how fortunate we are, mm -hmm. right? And even, you know, to be able to run into my member of parliament, or he's not my member of parliament, I'm, um, 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 Bob Zimmer's, yeah. you know, but anyhow, but, to, to, but even, you know, to run into Bob Zimmer, right, to be on a first name basis, and yeah. Shirley Bond, right, mm -hmm. to be on a first name basis with these people and be able to talk and be able to disagree is wonderful, Yeah. right? Alt like being able in an altruistic manner to disagree and, and to being able to actually hold a conversation and respectfully disagree is a very powerful thing. It is. I have a friend from the States that actually, uh, they have a bunch of Prince George friends on their social media channels and there's an election, I think it was uh, City Count Municipal back in 2018 and, and they, they're kind of keeping an eye on things and they said like, your politics in Canada seems so boring. And <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's the best compliment ever, yeah. right? Because boring can be synonymous with respectful as well. And what you said about, you know, whether it's uh, Todd Doherty or, or Shirley Bond, who was actually the first ever podcast. Right, I, that was a good podcast. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, was really, really good. Really great podcast. It's, you know, like we're lucky to have these politicians. And to me, I don't care what party they belong to. I just, I respect the fact that they're good people that do great things that care about their community. Right. And you always see them at different events, helping out nonprofit organizations or just getting behind that kind of community right. spirit that makes Prince George so great. And I was watching actually a, a debate, I think it was uh, Lester Pearson and Maroney or some from the early 1980s. And like, they were dealing with some pretty hot topics at the time and some right. election issues, but they were so respectful. Yeah. Like they're very respectful in their, their tone and their conversation with each other and most importantly, how they listen right. to the other person. Right. And it's not uncommon to see politics today, especially south of the border, where it's just it's who can talk over the other uh, person. Yeah, it's terrible. And, and not listen to understand, but, uh, but already have their mind made up on how yeah. they're going to respond. Yeah, that's, that's really unfortunate. And I, and I hope that we maintain that in, in Canada. And again, that's one of the reasons why I, I, I write my columns. It's not mm -hmm. to say that I'm always right, you know. Um, and you are writing about some pretty touchy subjects. Do you ever get backlash or do you get Oh, I do, for yeah. sure, for sure. Yeah. But does, uh, does that turn into actually like good dialogue, good correspondence with people or, or do you get people that already have their mind made up and they're lashing out? Um, well, I, I don't know. Um, I generally don't reply to people because, you know, I talked to, um, Neil Godboot and he said, well, you know, you've had your platform um, and, and, and this is people responding to it. I prefer that you didn't, you know, engage and mm -hmm. in, 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 in argue with them, you know, in, in, in the dialogue boxes. 
My brother will, though. My brother will. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he'll he's just like, let's get it on. Yeah. Um, you know, he doesn't use Chidiac, but he just goes, you know. Uh, yeah. But he'll he'll engage in, in you know, and make a point with with, uh, with certain people on certain yeah. topics. And, you know, I'll write, I'm freer writing in things than I do um, teaching as well. Like teaching, I'll, I'll avoid certain topics because they're controversial, right? Uh, like, for example, you know, Rwanda. Um, you know, I'll weigh my words, well, not so much now because the French have actually apologized to, to Rwanda. They've yeah. been open about their role in the Rwandan genocide. But for years, I would be like, I think the French are responsible, but I don't want to say that, yeah. right? Um, because it's, it's a, you know, it, it's a contra... And, and when you're a teacher, you have to be really careful, right? Mm -hmm. So, but at the same time, I want my students to have their opinions, and I want them to research their opinions, and I want them to, to debate respectfully with, with each other. Yeah. So... But you don't shy away from contentious topics, which I think is really important. And especially right. for the next generations, because if we don't talk about these things, then th th that's worse than having these difficult right. conversations. Right. And and even with these you know, unmarked graves that we're finding across yeah. the nation, I, a lot of people are embarrassed to be Canadian. A lot of people are talking about uh, this being the, the darkest chapter in not just Canadian history, but one of the darkest in the world. And, but there's also silver linings to all these discoveries because it's making people educate themselves. Right. It's making, especially future generations that may have had no idea. They may have lived their entire life as a Canadian and had no idea, right. or at least a little understanding about the residential school system and the, right. the, not just the cultural genocide, but genocide as a whole right. that this did to our nation. It was you know, killing the Indian and the child, which right, is basically right. the mantra. And you're not, and you were talking about this years ago in your, your Shaw Spotlight specials, and, right. and I found that really remarkable that you were, you were really trying hard to bring awareness and attention to this difficult subject during a time where it wasn't popular to do so. Right. Um, it, it's kind of funny, actually, with, with, with that, too. I, I, I've kind of looked back at some of my older columns and said, well, I guess I was kind of cutting edge there, yeah, you know? Ahead of the times. So. Um, and, and so, but... I think, I don't know, it's, it's always a pursuit of truth, mm -hmm. right? That's the most important thing for me is, is, to, is to pursue truth. And so do you think about when you're writing your columns as pursuit of truth kind of top of mind, like that's what you're going after? When yeah, you're absolutely, and, and when I'm teaching as well, yeah. pursuit of truth. And, and the willingness to be wrong, mm -hmm. right? To, to, to risk being wrong. Yeah. Is, uh, it's wild how many people are afraid of being wrong. Yeah. Like being wrong is not necessarily a horrific thing. No. You know, it's, it, you should look at it as a learning experience yeah. rather as a fault. Right, right. right. Yeah. yeah, no, um, and it, it's, uh, so I, I don't know, I, I just try to, you know, Dr. King, I always think of what Dr. King used to say that uh, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice, hmm. right? And, and I've seen that in my lifetime, you know. Um, actually, a, a really cool story where, where, I, where I kind of saw that, and I did, you know, it ties in with Prince George because um, the, one, of, one of my co-workers uh, at, at, um, at Dutchess Park is, is, is a refugee from El Salvador, oh, wow. right? And his family immigrated here in, in, in the 90s. And back, and I said to him actually, I said, you know, the, the issue in your country was the first social justice issue that drew my attention as a young person. And I remember 
you know, I grew up in Toronto going to rallies at like Queen's Park in Toronto and Ed Broadbent speaking. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would write letters to my member of parliament who was a conservative, uh, Michael Wilson, who was uh, one of the architects of NAFTA. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but what I really appreciated, and this is what one of the so things- was this in the early 80s? This was in the early okay, 80s, right. yeah. And, um, you know, one of the things I appreciate, again, about our members of parliament and about, about our Canadian political system, you know, Michael Wilson, I was just this young punk, right, saying, you know, <laughs> writing to you, and, um, you know, but respectfully responding to, to, to my messages, right, to, to my letters to him. That is our Canadian system. And I, I, I don't know what happened behind the scenes, but Joe Clark um, and Brian Mulroney, despite what the Americans said, brought in a number of refugees from um, from El Salvador, from Central America mm -hmm. in the, you know, in the late 80s and early 90s. And my friend Juan was one of them, hmm. right? And now he's here in Prince yeah. George, you know, making our community uh, a, a better place. And it was just so cool, that moment where you realize that, you know, the little things, you know, I, I don't know if it had anything to do with Juan being here, yeah. but it could have. It could have. Absolutely. You know, and how sensational know, it is, yeah. you know, to know. So to know that the little things that you do, you know, don't hesitate to do something good for somebody else. You never know what impact that's going to have. Mm -hmm. Right. So. Um, so, yeah, it's, I, I guess, you know, um, but but, you know, dealing with the indigenous issues in Prince George, I, I would like to see. I feel tremendous gratitude to the to the Clayton today. Mm -hmm. I, I really do, and I hope that comes out in, in in what I write. You know, because here I am, you know, the grandchild of refugees. Welcome. In in in, a, in one of the most beautiful parts of the world, yeah. right? I don't get a little bit choked up here, but it's true. I, I I sincerely feel that tremendous gratitude, and you know, we have to make this right, mm -hmm. right? And I don't know how we're going to make this right. And I, I, I honestly say that to my students as well, you know, because um, there's so much we don't know, yeah. and I don't have all the answers. And so I say to my students, especially my grade 12s, is you guys are, it's, you guys are our new leaders, right? You're going to do great things. You're going to make this better, you know. Um, and, and, I, and I, I sincerely, sincerely believe that. I'm yeah. getting all choked up, sorry. It, you're, you're absolutely <laughs> right though, Jerry. I mean, it, it starts with education, it starts with listening, and it starts with respect. It starts with all these foundational elements. And uh, I, I look back at, at National Indigenous Peoples Day at Clayton Tanay Memorial Park, and you know, we had a large uh, representation from the Indigenous population, and, and they are drumming, and they're yeah. singing, and they're paying tributes. And and I, I remember one thing that really stood out for me that I heard that day was there is a, a young indigenous man that was at the microphone and saying like that we should still feel proud to be Canadian. That right. We should always feel proud to be Canadian. Right. But that doesn't mean that we should neglect this dark chapter in our nation's history. Well, I, I think we have a tremendous responsibility to the world, actually. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and this is where the honesty of our history, you know, let's deal with it honestly, but realize too that this is a global issue. 
Yeah. Right? Like one of my students actually, you know, it's amazing what, what, what students will, will come up with. You know, I was talking about the importance of reconciliation and so on. And this one student goes, oh, Mr. Chidiak, w what about the English? And I said, I really don't want to answer that question. <laughs> you know? But. Yeah, pre um, what? Uh, is the prima nocta with the English and the Scottish? Or? Well, when, well that, it goes back yeah. to that, yeah. right? It really does. It, you know, you go back to the Irish, you go back to, yeah. you go back to the British Empire, yeah. right? You go to India. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I, I, I really don't want to touch that issue in the classroom. Yeah. But I mean, it's. Um, but maybe a lot I of should. Examples. There, there are a lot of examples, mm -hmm. right? You know, um, and so we're, what we're doing. Is, is very important, right? And and again, looking at what the Germans have taught us by reconciling, and the Germans have now realized that, okay, uh, what we did in the Holocaust was really bad. Mm -hmm. Our support for the Armenian genocide was really bad. Yeah. Um, what we did in Namibia was genocidal. We need to apologize for that, you know? Mm -hmm. So the Germans are actually on the cutting edge of, of all, you know, we, we have a hurting world, yeah. you know, we really do. Um, but we're, we're all part of the healing process as well. And I think we need to embrace that yeah. and not be afraid of that. Absolutely. Yeah. But post Second World War Germany was an interesting time too. I, I think it was a, a U.S. Operation Paperclip, it might have been called, or is some kind of moniker for the, the operation. But what they did when the, there was all of a sudden a a race with other countries, especially Russia, to recruit all the German engineers. Oh, right. Yeah, and I, I was reading an article about that that was just like, that was the primary focus subsequent to World War II was like, how many of these brilliant wow. German engineers can we recruit to be on our team? Wow. And that was what kind of uh, manifested into this five decade Cold War. Um, a lot of to talk about war. I, I want to go back to the teaching just a little bit. Right. I, during, I think it was a, a Shaw Spotlight session, you briefly mentioned that you had a learning disability. It right. might have been in one of your articles. Did you want to talk about that? Um, well, it was, I, I don't know, largely undiagnosed. Um, but yeah, a, a little bit of, I, I think we would call it uh, I'm mildly dyslexic now, you know, I, I think. And I, I say that to my students as well, mm -hmm. right? And I, I still read very slowly, mm -hmm. you know, compared to, to most people with a... Probably gain a better understanding. Well, hopefully, way. hopefully. <laughs> um, I realize, though, that, um, you know, audiobooks mm -hmm. are actually the best way for me to read. It's amazing. It really and is. For productivity? Yeah. In terms of being able to get other things done simultaneously to take in knowledge from an audiobook, yeah. I'm a, a huge advocate for audiobooks. I yeah. absolutely love them. Uh, prior to this year, I was lucky if I'd finish a book a month. Yeah. I, like really lucky. And I'd have to put in the time to actually right. like, sit down and, and, and crank out those pages. Yeah. Now I'm going through one to two books a week because I always have an audiobook book right. If it's at the gym in the morning, if it's during a commute, right. if it's when I'm eating lunch or, or, or dinner, yeah. uh, there's so many different possibilities. Even just uh, 45 minutes before I fall asleep Absolutely. at night. And you yeah. can just cruise through all these different books. And yeah. And it, like with Audible, actually, Andrew, our, our, our producer and recorder here, he, he got me onto this Audible app where you can get free credits every month yeah. and you can just take in all these different yeah. books. It's really, really cool. Uh, one book that I recommend that I think that you would really 
enjoy is uh, it talks about these Spanish settlers. It's called A Land So Strange. And it talks about the generation of Spanish explorers after Christopher Columbus. So it was one generation after Christopher Columbus. And it talks about how all of a sudden, you know, the race was on. We discovered this new land. Let's go over and, and see if we can actually settle there. So there was this one boat of 400 people that came over from, from Spain. And they're looking for the, kind of like the Gulf of Mexico area. And so they landed in Florida. So not their direct intended destination of the Gulf of, of Mexico, which was a little bit south, more right. south. And so they landed in Florida and they thought, well, you know, maybe we'll, this is a, an island. And maybe if we just uh, keep on heading inwards, we'll get to the other side of the island. And so it tells a story how this party of 400 people uh, turned into four. And it just became this massive wow. act of survival and uh, with the indigenous tribes and some were friendly and some weren't. The wildlife, it wasn't, you, you, you think North American wildlife, you think what's gonna be the, the largest predator or the most ubiquitous predator? You think bears, but it was actually mountain lions at huh. that time, yeah. Like you think wow. like Florida, like pumas and, yeah, yeah. Um, and panthers and uh, essentially the same thing as the mountain lion. And it just talks about uh, like all of the, the, the party's uh, horrific experiences of, of uh, starvation and the wildlife and the, the tribes and the poor people that survived were the ones that were the most educated of, in the medical field. So the ones that they actually uh, became healers and then they were taken in by the indi indigenous tribes and then they became people of worship. Mm -hmm. uh, and so one of the, the four was a, a, a slave and I think he was from some part of Africa, but he ended up becoming this massive healer. And it shows how the 10 years that they spent uh, ingraining themselves into these North American uh, lifestyles that they are passed from tribe to tribe to tribe as healers. And then once after 10 years, another Spanish party found them, uh, this slave who became this uh, healer that was just worshiped by so many different indigenous tribes throughout North America went back to being a slave. So it was just a very wow. tumultuous, yeah, of uh, a uh, ride. But it's a really great audiobook that I think you would like. Yeah. Um, so sorry to get off topic there. Uh, back to the teaching. I also want to touch on one thing. Uh, uh, Andrew, who's right here beside us recording this episode, you taught Andrew as well. Um, well, we worked or, together or worked at camp. Together. Yeah. Yeah. It, so ex what was that like? Uh, well, we worked at. Um, at, at Camp Maurice, mm -hmm. um, so that's the the Catholic summer camp yeah. um, in, in in Fort St. James, yeah. and um, I, you know I, I guess as a teacher, you know, you, you, in in the summertime you have something to, to offer, so you run summer yeah. camps. But but Andrew did a wonderful job. Um, Danny Brock, who taught at um, O'Grady, um, another former Frontier Apostle, yeah. used to run these teen camps and then uh, passed on the torch to Andrew. Awesome. And and Andrew did a great job with those teen camps with my own kids. Nice. And uh, so are your own kids still in Prince George then? Or? Um, two of them are. One of them is a musician in Vancouver and uh, and, and the other two are here in, in town. My daughter's, my youngest is finishing up at UNBC. Nice. Yeah. And what an asset that university is to oh, it is. our community. I mean, it I is. think we're at 31 years now since its inception in, in 1990. And yeah. it's, it's hard to imagine Prince George or Northern BC as a whole without UMBC. Yeah, well, you know, when I think of how Prince George has changed since I moved here in 1985, the university has been a huge um, driver for, for change. It's really made the community much, um, I, I don't know, much, much better, it's, it's you know, um, 
you know, people used to have to go all the way to Vancouver to get a university education, mm -hmm. and now you can do it right here in town. And just that's that's made such a it's had such a positive impact on our community. Yeah, it it really, really has. Rewarding as a teacher as well, because if you when you, you arrived in the mid '80s, probably for the first decade of your teaching career, you saw students leave the community and probably never come back, like after grade 12. Yeah, oftentimes, yeah. yeah. Or they wouldn't go to university yeah. or, or yeah. you know. Um, and now for them to have that opportunity, and you need that, mm -hmm. right? You need, it, it's really hard to not have some kind of post-secondary training, Yeah. right, in, in, in the world today. So yeah, it's, it's just been such a, an asset. And the people, the people at that university are just, amazing yeah. people and the people to come out of the the teaching program as well and yeah which leads me to my next question jerry is what kind of advice would you as a, a teacher that's been in school district 57 for 30 plus years what kind of advice would you give to somebody that's just coming out of the teaching program at umbc and looking to take on their their first class or their first semester or their first class or course as a teacher ever um i, I suppose it would go back to my my mission statement you know, that, um, you know, recognize, you know, try and create a, a happy memories for, for these people um, and inspire them to achieve their greatness. But recognize that each of those people in your classroom is a sacred human being, right? Um, and, and just recognize their, 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 the beauty of their humanity that it's a privilege it's a privilege to be able to to work with these people and that's how I see my students all the time and I'm privileged to be able to work with them yeah. right and they all challenge me to become a better person mm -hmm. right and what a, what a great challenge to take on it is <laughs> it is but it, it, that that's what that's what teaching is and mm -hmm. there's there's tremendous joy in that right yeah. and you know I, I think I have you know a student who's from a difficult background or has a you know we're um, having a hard time you know getting through to this person or whatever and, and just I don't know um, just learning from that yeah. person and, and, and trying to be open uh, and being kind yeah. is is trying to be kind I hope I'm kind <laughs> <laughs> you know well if there's one com compliment I want to throw at you it's your unique approach to teaching, and this, whether it's in a classroom, whether it's through your articles, through Troy Media or the PG Citizen, whether it's through your Shaw Spotlight Lessons and Learning, is that you have this large, diverse network of, of content and references that, that you use. You'll, you'll talk about, you'll, you'll incorporate names like Shaquille O'Neal or Jim Carrey or yeah. Muhammad Ali into your, your writings. And, then other times you'll you'll talk about Malcolm Gladwell and the, the, yeah. the ten thousand hour rule, right. and then other times you'll talk about the the backfire effect. Right, right. There's just so much variety in your teaching, which I, I feel that the students are going to gain from because it's it's captivating and interesting, and and it really just keeps you engaged. Whether you're you're reading one of your articles, whether you're watching one of your YouTube clips, or whether you're in a classroom in a seat taking in that knowledge coming from you. So that's something I really wanted to, to compliment well, thank you on. You. Thank you. Well, what, the reason for that is that in order to be a teacher, you have to be a learner. Yeah. You have to be yeah. constantly learning. Yeah. At least that's what I believe. You know, mm -hmm. so maybe that would be the advice, to keep learning. Yeah. And right. what a great way to learn different subject matter when you know that you're going to be the one responsible 
for conveying that information right. to students, right. to a classroom or to any kind of respective right. audience, right? right? It's the best way to learn. It is, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. So yeah. we have time for one more question, Jerry. Right. And it's actually a question that we ask every single guest that we've ever had in Andrew's studio with the Crazy Damn Canadians podcast. And that is, can you identify, can you think of one Canadian, they could be alive, they can be dead, they can be somebody that you've met, they can be somebody that you've never met, but can you think of one Canadian that you find incredibly inspiring, that just is at the top of the list in terms of Canadians? Um, well, we have a lot of really great people in this country. Um, but you know, I, I really, it's amazing how often I go back to this person, Joe Clark, hmm. you know? like. He was prime minister, I think, for nine months or something it like that. It was a that. short term. It was really short term. But he was a man, or is a man, of tremendous integrity, right? Like, again, I was talking about that Middle Eastern, or sorry, uh, Central American issue. Yeah, El Salvador. Um, yeah, in El Salvador, you know? And, and he was really the driving force to get Canada to uh, for apartheid, right? We were one of the first countries to boycott, you know, uh, the, the South African government during apartheid. He was an extraordinary person and a conservative also, mm -hmm. you know, very progressive conservative. But I, I wouldn't mind sitting down talking to Joe Clark and saying, you know, what makes you tick, right? You know, like, do you realize the, the impact that you've had? I'm sure he does. You know, but maybe I should look and see if he's written his memoirs, right? And see if see if I can read that, because it'd be kind of cool, you know. To um, so I, I think it, it it would be it would be Joe Clark, yeah. yeah. Especially somebody that had a profound influence in in your own life, right? Like something that uh, that you're never going to forget, and that you've carried with yeah. you for a, a very long time. Yeah. 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 I love an, a, answering that, asking that question, and, and just witnessing the variety of different answers that we get. Right, as well. right, yeah. right. Yeah. So thank you very much. I re this is really enjoyable. Yeah, uh, it, it's our pleasure, Jerry, to have you on the podcast. And uh, uh, before we go, how do people read your articles? How do people get in touch with you? How do people uh, see the content that you're putting out there? Because you also have a website. Right. It's just uh, JerryChidiak.com. Jerry with a G. Mm -hmm. um, so. Um, yeah, maybe just spell your last name. For oh, C-H-I-D-I-A-C. Awesome. So uh, all your com. articles are on there? They are, or links to them are there. Perfect. Right? And you're on social media as well? Um, yeah, I'm on uh, Facebook and, um, and, and Twitter and, and LinkedIn, and I post my articles there as well. Great. Um, so you'll so link your articles to your social channels? And yeah, and, uh, and I have YouTube as well. Um, so yeah, that's uh, good. Thank you very much. Excellent. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and for anyone listening and watching, uh, actually head to your YouTube channel because there are dozens and dozens and dozens of great videos and it's excellent content and you're gonna learn a ton. So well, thank you. Jerry, thank you so much for thank being a you. guest. Episode 23, Andrew, hit the studio 720.